Welcome to the So We Speak podcast. This is Terry Fakes, and this week I'd like to talk to you about a couple of leadership principles that I've learned over my career. These are ideas that didn't necessarily originate with me, but they're ideas I picked up along the way, and my experience has confirmed their wisdom, if you will. My hope is to share a couple of these ideas with you, and perhaps they will be of use to you wherever you are in your leadership journey, or perhaps they'll stimulate some thought, some insight for you that you can apply to your leadership challenges. Let me introduce the first by saying this, most of the time and task management advice that you get, the self-help books, the efficiency books, really revolve around making sure that you are using your time very efficiently for the purpose of getting more done. Now, not many of us have the problem of, gee, I don't have enough to do during the day. Most of us obviously have the opposite problem, is I can't get everything done that needs to get done during the day. I can't finish my to-do list. I can't get to some things that I really want to get to. And so we're motivated, and rightly so, to say, well, am I using my time as efficiently as I can? And you'll see certain things like, uh, you know, putting in the big, big boulders first. I'm a big fan of planning your week ahead of time and putting in the large must-do things first. And so you put the boulders in and then you can sprinkle the smaller things around it and more efficiently use your schedule. Well, there are all kinds of planners, all kinds of systems for using your time well. Uh, Multitasking, slipping small things in between large things. You probably followed a variety of these programs, and they've probably helped you be more efficient in getting more done in the same amount of time. There's also task management. There are ways to prioritize what you're doing to make sure you're doing the most important or the most urgent or the most beneficial things. There are ways to organize that in the way you prioritize what you're doing. There are ways to organize it around when you do things. Some people like to do certain kinds of tasks in the morning and other things in the afternoon. For me, I prefer thinking time in the morning and meeting time in the afternoon. And maybe you're just the opposite, or you like to do your reading time in the mornings and something else in the afternoon. Whatever it is, this is all part of that task management idea. And when you put the time and task management together... What you're trying to do is basically, with the same amount of time, you want to get more things done. You're pursuing efficiency, and that is a good thing. Until you become relatively efficient, and you still have more to do. Now, you're never going to be perfect. You're never going to squeeze every ounce of time in your schedule and be doing something productive with it. But you're going to get to the point, if you're diligent, where you're pretty much maximizing the time in your day. You're doing a good job with, uh, with your time and your task management, and you're still going to have more to do than you can do. I mean, that comes from just the natural uh, adage of, if you want something done, give it to a busy person. And that makes sense. You know why? Because the busy person is someone who's found time to get things done. The problem is you keep loading up the busy person 
if you're particularly if you're a, a person with multiple capabilities and talents, you will certainly find yourself in the position of being able to do more than you have time to do. It'll manifest itself as maybe having a hard time saying no to good things or just wanting to achieve more things than you have time for. But at some point, you'll pretty much be efficient with your time and your tasks, and you'll still have too much to do. Well, here's the problem, and here's what I've seen in terms of how do people typically handle that. Well, one of the most obvious ways is to allow your work time to start encroaching on other times. In other words, if your time is being used pretty efficiently and you still have more to do, then you need to steal some time from something else. So for example, workouts. Maybe you decide to go to the office earlier and next thing you know, a few months later, you're not working out. You've stolen that time, if you will, to be able to get more done. Or maybe it's family time. Or maybe it's time that you used to think, or time that you used to do recreation, you used to have some downtime. And if you aren't careful, you begin to push the margins of your time, and you'll push out some things that really can't be ignored forever. And we typically call that burnout. One way or another, it manifests itself as burnout. And that's where we allow the, the work time to expand to fill other parts of our life. And typically that happens, not when you don't have much to do, but when you're already pretty efficient and you still have more to do. I'll tell you something else that I've also struggled with with this is say uh, you're tempted to uh, push the boundaries of your time, but you have somebody in your life or you have better habits and you say, no, there need to be some hard boundaries around my family time or my self-care time, whatever it may be, but you still have this problem of too much to do. You know the old saying, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing well. Well, I remember a time in my life when the, that adage was turned around and it was, if it's not worth doing, then it's not worth doing well. And I remember applying that to all of those requests for reports or information that kind of came down from on high without any reason why. And I thought, you know, I, I really doubt that this is worth doing. And so it's not going to get my best effort. It's going to get just a little bit of my effort, and I'm going to move on to something that is more important and that actually matters. Well, you can probably get away with that because, let's face it, about half the things you get from on high probably aren't very important. But if you aren't careful, you start to stretch not your time, but you begin to stretch and squeeze how much effort you put into doing things. And you begin to get to the point where you, if you aren't careful, you'll realize I'm not doing a very good job in very many things. In other words, I'm getting a lot done. I'm checking a lot of things off the list, but I'm no longer doing these things as well as I used to do them. And I'm even becoming, and I remember this feeling, you know, I feel like I'm a really high capacity, mediocre employee, meaning I can get a lot done but I can't do any of it really well. And so one uh, symptom is squeezing out other time in your life. Another is squeezing out how well you're doing things. And neither of those things are satisfactory. Neither of those things are going to make you happy. So what do you do when you get to the point where you're efficient 
and you still have other things to do. And this is something that, uh, that I learned, and that is do more until you get to be efficient. In other words, it's a good thing to squeeze yourself to be as efficient as you can reasonably be. And when you hit that point, then do less. Do less. In fact, the phrase I like to use is, do fewer things better. Do fewer things better. This is really based on uh, the futility, by the way, from having hit the wall of just trying to be more and more efficient and assuming that somehow, if I were only efficient enough, I could do everything on my to-do list. Well, that's never been true, never will be true. But once you hit that point, now you have to make some qualitative decisions and decide to do fewer things better. Fortunately, this is actually a good strategy, and I'll tell you why. There's this thing called the Pareto Principle, and even if you haven't heard that phrase, you know what it is, and it basically says this, that 80% of the effects come from 20% of the causes. 80% of your sales are going to come from 20% of your customers, or 80% of the impact that you're going to have will come from 20% of your ads. In other words, 80% of the things that you accomplish are really going to come from about 20% of the things on your to-do list. When you think about magnitude or career or achievement, whatever, that principle generally holds true across human endeavors. And that's what you want to tap into by doing fewer things better. So once you've reached the level of efficiency, it's time to change the game, if you will. You just stop playing that game and you say, look, I'm as efficient as I'm going to be. Now it's time to start making some quality decisions. And that means saying no to some things. But before you start saying no to things, the key idea is to identify what are the things that are the most impactful in what I do. Because let's face it, I know what you're thinking right now is, well, Terry, it's like a juggler, and I'm juggling as fast as I can, and you're telling me, you know what, you're going to have to juggle fewer balls. Let's just make sure that we keep juggling the glass ones, and maybe we let the rubber ones hit the floor. And you're thinking, well, gosh, I don't like that sound of balls hitting the floor. And I agree with you. I never liked that either. But here's the issue. No matter what you do, something is going to hit the floor. I mean, you simply can't continue that way. So the question is, do you let it happen to you? Or do you decide what are the things that are most impactful? And that's where I'm going to put my effort. And that's the Pareto principle. So in your job, in your whatever endeavor you're doing, stop and really make an accounting. And you, you really have to be brutal with this. You have to be unemotional about it. And you have to say, what are the things that are really getting me ahead in my career? Or what are the things that are really doing the most good in my ministry? Or what? Ask that hard question and start to pair those things back. And once you've done that, then make those your first things you do every week. And so if something hits the floor, it's not that. If you drop one of the balls you're juggling, it won't be one of those. I've always been a big fan of planning my weeks on Sundays and just taking a few minutes and looking at my calendar for the week and looking at that list of the 20% and making sure that I have scheduled time to work on those things. And then everything else will have to fit around that. 
but I want to make sure that I move those balls forward during the week. It's a very painful thing to do for a while, and you're going to get pushback because you're going to have people that want you to do something. They're, they need you to do something. In other words, they need you so that they can do what they want. The problem with that is, is since you can't satisfy everybody, if you aren't careful, you'll end up satisfying everyone but yourself. So there's a balance in this, but typically i found most people balance this by shorting the things that are most important to what they're doing. So... 80% of, of what you uh, get comes from 20% of what you do. Pay attention to that 20%. Do those fewer things better. Now, what are those things? I don't have a lot to say there because I don't know your business. I don't know your what you're doing. But I'll tell you a great piece of advice that I learned. I was really making a mistake is I would have things like board meetings to prepare for, or a talk to prepare. And, you know, since it didn't have an urgency to it, like, you know, that's two weeks away. So all the way up until, well, let's face it, the day before, I could put that off. And then I realized I've squeezed myself to the point where I wasn't doing a very good job. Well, guess what? Those are typically the 80% impact things. And they just didn't happen to be urgent on any given day. And so I was filling up all this little urgent stuff, making a lot of other people happy, and then I wasn't performing very well. I read a book by Admiral James Stavridis, S-T-A-V-R-I-D-I-S, very accomplished leader uh, in the Navy, retired now. Uh, he wrote a book called The Accidental Admiral, The Accidental Admiral. And in this book, he talks about his career, but it's really a book about leadership. And in it, he lists some of the key leadership lessons that he learned. Those kinds of books are useful, not because everything applies to you, but every now and then something applies to you. And one of the things on his list really hit me on this particular thing. He said, one of the things you make sure that you do is to prepare thoroughly for key events. Prepare thoroughly for key events. Well, that's something I wasn't doing because on any given day it could wait. But it was actually one of those 20% endeavors that was going to yield a huge result. And he learned that the same way. And that was if you'll prepare thoroughly for those key talks, those key events, those key uh, meetings, whatever it may be, then you will see just huge impact from that particular endeavor. I remember in reading about Winston Churchill in the various biographies of Churchill, how hard he would work on key speeches. He would uh, rehearse them. He would think about them. He would write down key lines for the speech. He realized that when he walked into the House of Commons and gave a speech, that was going to be more impactful than 30 or 40 other things he could do in the war effort. And he was smart enough to realize that those other things could go undone. And while that wasn't a good thing, it was preferable to, to failing to make the impression he wanted to make in that speech. Well, there are speeches, if you will, in every one of our careers. And there are certain things that we want to shine. We want to make a big impact in that moment. So do fewer things better. A second leadership trait, very much different from the first that I just spoke about, 
involves this proverb. In Proverbs 18, 17, we read this, and you'll be familiar with it, I suspect. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Well, it turns out that Proverbs is, is wise in many ways, and one is in business. I found that this was so true in leadership roles. You will have a number of people who will be pleading their case, whether it's from allocating capital into certain pieces of the business or who should have control over what kind of coffee we're going to have in the break room. People are going to approach you as a leader and tell you things and persuade you to see things the way they see it. There's nothing wrong with that. They're simply trying to get you to see things the way they see things. Or perhaps it's somebody that works for you and they're not getting what they want from somebody in another department. And needless to say, they don't see the big picture. They simply know they're not getting what they want and they need it for this big client presentation. So they come to you and say, boss, I want you to go over there and just beat those people up and make them give me what they want. And they'll get you revved up like, you know... This, we could lose this sale, and it's all because these people aren't doing their job. If only my boss would go make this happen. Now, obviously, there are times when you need to go make those things happen. But typically, you're going to be pulled one way and another. And I found that as a leader, it's really important to cultivate a judicial temperament. This is a phrase I heard uh, some time back, cultivate a judicial temperament. Now, what this doesn't mean is to be dispassionate and not involved and you're judging something and you have no stake in the game. It's not that sense. What it means is cultivating a judicial temperament means keeping your perspective. Because what's really happening is anybody that wants to convince you to do something wants to take your perspective and replace it with theirs, if you will. And again, this isn't necessarily a bad thing. They're trying to do what they think is right or best. It can be manipulative, but usually it's not. What they want to do is to shape your perspective so you see the world the way they do. Now, in a courtroom, of course, there are two parties who are both trying to do that. In your business, there are typically two or more parties who are trying to do that. And I found this, this visual image of cultivating a judicial temperament to be really helpful. I tend to get revved up. In other words, when people are really passionate, which I love about something, and there's something hurdle in their way, I tend to share their passion. It's like, let's go knock this down. Let's clear the way and let's get this done. The problem is, if I haven't thought this through, I can't tell you how many times I've done that, look back and thought, boy, I should have asked a few more questions. I should have made sure I understood the other side of this story. And that's what I mean by cultivating a judicial temperament, is making sure that we have all the information to make a good decision, not just a passionate decision. This kind of plays in as a boss into the idea of favoritism and fairness. I mean, when you're leading an office, let's say, you're going to have people that want to do things differently. I want it hotter. I want it colder. You know, I want regular coffee. No, I want decaf after 10 a.m. Yeah, there are going to be a million things that people want to convince you of, and they're going to watch you. And you're going to be uh, watched to see, well, now, does the boss make the decision based on who she likes best 
Or is the boss generally pretty fair and taking into account everybody's consideration here? In other words, you're going to be judged on how much you can maintain that temperament and be seen as someone who is not partisan, if you will, someone who's trying to do the best. In other words, people are going to ask themselves, can I trust my boss to adjudicate a dispute? Will I be treated fairly when I go to the boss? Or will the boss go to bat for me when I'm in the right? And those are things that, as a boss, you're going to face. And cultivating a judicial temperament will help you not get caught up in the first story, but to ask the right questions and then act decisively. But there's one other perspective on this. I want to switch now to the employee point of view. And I've also been in the situation where I was the person bringing an analysis or information to my boss. And I want to be very useful. I want to be very helpful. And I bring this information and I realized that I could tailor that information. And I'm not talking about dishonesty here. I'm just talking about what you choose to emphasize to get the boss to go a particular direction or at least to influence the boss in a particular direction. The problem with that is you get done what you want, but sooner or later your boss is going to realize that you are not an honest broker of information. In other words, the boss is going to have trust issues like, are you giving me the whole story so that I can basically make a good decision, or are you skewing it and in some way shading it so that to influence me? And I think a judicial temperament as an employee is basically saying, I too will ask all the right questions. I'll gather the right information and I'll present that fairly, meaning I'll present it in an honest way so that my boss, for example, has access to a pretty level playing field and then she or he can make the decision as it looks best from their perspective. But cultivating a judicial temperament means removing oneself from the drama or the emotion or the urgency of the situation and letting both sides or multiple sides of an issue come up. I think if we'll think about it that way, when we get into the middle of the fray, if you will, the deadlines and the drama and the uh, he said, she said, etc., I think we'll be able to pull ourselves back and that perspective, that judicial perspective, if you will, will help us make better decisions, and it'll also make us better employees for those who are making decisions. Thanks for listening to the So We Speak podcast. If you like what you hear, go ahead and leave a comment, leave a review, email us, tell us what you like about it, tell us what you'd improve about it. Thanks to all you guys who are listening, and we'll see you next week on the So We Speak podcast.